myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is comedian Stephen Gamble. Stephen Gamble is a local comedian here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who's starting to branch out and open at clubs across the country. In this episode, we talk a lot about comedy because his fear is something called imposter syndrome. It's not something I'm very familiar with, but apparently it's just the fear that you're going to be discovered for all your insecurities is what it seems to come across to me like, which is super relatable to me because at some points I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing and oftentimes I don't, but I just make the best of it. So let's get into this episode with Stephen Gamble. We're here with my friend, comedian, and bartender, Steve Gamble. Wear a lot of hats. Yes, a lot of, a lot of hats that, of entertainment, basically. In some <laughs> yeah, form or other. If you can't do it on stage, well, what libations can I give you? Exactly. Yeah, things that uh, you can get paid for uh, without any technical skill, but uh, you've got to kind of slap a smile on. Okay. So how long That's have you been milieu. So how long have you been a bartender? Uh 12 <laughs> years. Man, that that it's when you're doing sad math when you realize how old you are. Like it's just the saddest <laughs> man. Like you just you can just see the shock on your face of how oh 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 that's yeah. yeah, you do the math and you go, no, that can't be right, and then you double checking you're like oh yeah it has been well over a decade so and that's how you've met your lovely your lovely wife was also as a bartender weren't you at that point or uh i was bartending when we met but she is one of the actual few people that i've dated in my life that weren't service industry okay i thought she came into your bar or something is what you had told me no, I met her through some friends uh, and their bartenders. They used to work with me, and then they worked at a different place. And uh, I saw a picture of her on their social media, and I was like, "Like, who is that?" And it went from there. <laughs> so romantic. Who's that, yeah. babe? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, hook me up. No, well, that's awesome. Your your Katie is awesome. She's one of my she's one of my favorite people because she when she comes out to open mics, she's real supportive and real fun to talk to and socialite. Yeah, I don't think I realized how rare that was when we first started uh, dating and I first started doing comedy. I mean, there's people I know really well who I know are married and I've known them for years and never seen the wife. Yeah. And that's and sometimes I feel like you have to have your own space on some of that stuff. Like I would think in a relationship that you can't spend all the time together. Otherwise, I'm not missing you. There's nothing to talk about. We've seen everything because we're there firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have a decent balance because she does give a shit, but she's not. Yeah, she doesn't want it. She doesn't get FOMO if she's not at every single show and all that stuff. So it's it works out okay. 
that's awesome. And so you're you've just you're breaking into the to the working comic scene. You're opening act that has now is branched out to multiple comedy clubs in Dallas and outside of Dallas. You just got back from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, here in Dallas, very glamorous. Well, well, here in Dallas, everything was like locked down, frozen. So when you messaged me on Tuesday and said you were driving out to Tulsa, I was like, well, it, at the rate you may be driving, it may take that whole time to get there. Yeah, it was pretty rough. I think that'll be one of those that. Uh, you know, God willing, if I keep doing comedy for as long as I want, I'll look back on that and go, you did what to go where for how much money? Yeah, it was uh, not smart, but I've never canceled a gig yet. So I fucking did it anyways. Yeah. Did you did you pick up John on the way or did he just meet you in Tulsa? Typical me and John traveling together fashion. I went to his place and woke him up and then we got on the road. Sounds like classic john brown yeah yeah i don't know if i should have outed him publicly just now but uh yeah we because i wasn't for sure if he knew i was serious about leaving a day early we were trying to beat the weather yeah and in trying to do that we drove through the worst of it and then so we got there a day early to try and beat the weather and then the show that we got there a day early for was canceled because of the weather because it was about the same up there as it was here so i'm glad you made it safely that I'm sure that was harrowing and very slow moving, but it, yeah. But yeah. in those kinds of things, like it's so much better if you have someone else to like at least lighten the mood or at least talk to or kind of go through it with, rather than just be by yourself, white knuckling the steering wheel. I actually hadn't even given that too much thought, but yeah, now that you mentioned it, if I had done it by myself, it would have been maddening. Yeah, it would just be it's super stressful. Like I drove in this weather before and it just gets so frustrating because it's it's so it can get so slow, especially when you get to an overpass or a bridge and then everything just have to slow down to absolutely nothing. Yeah, I I don't think I, I know we got there right before midnight and I don't know how long it was supposed to take. But yeah, it was the worst is when someone's right next to you and you feel like, no, you don't need to be right here. Can you not be right next? Can you not be in collateral damage town? So if you lose it, don't take me out with you. Yeah, it seems like, and this is maybe just one of those things, but it seems like when you're driving in that kind of weather, people either go, all right, I'm going to do 30 or I'm going to blow past everybody. You're like, I, I don't want to have to pass that many cars, but I'm not doing 30 on a drive that normally takes me five hours doing 70, you know? Yeah. But we made it, we survived and the the shows that didn't get canceled were really good. So I'll take it. That's good to hear. I've, I have yet to, to do a Looney bin show yet. So that's on one of my hopefully things to do in the next year or two. So you're also a father. Yep, I am in the room of a, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one of the hats that doesn't fit as well as some of the other ones, maybe. I don't know. I feel like your kid probably, you know, does stuff with you from time to time. And you have your one thing that you'll, I guess, you know, share like playtime or whatever TV show or. Yeah, we've had a lot of different things over the years, but our thing now uh, is cooking and uh, she's finally got like the 
the dexterity and the desire to, you know, want to cook more than like a, a pancake. And that's my big thing anyways. And she thinks I'm like some fancy chef. So that's our thing currently. Yeah. I think a lot of people think you're some fancy chef with the food posts that you, <laughs> you post online. It's that, uh, it's that portrait mode view it makes everything look <laughs> artisan. Yeah, that pasta dish took forever. Just, just the, just the cutting because I was like, I have to cut the olives and stuff because I was like, I don't want one whole olive in there. I mean, it's very rustic if I do it that way, but I'll do slice. I'll slice the olives, everything kind of the same with like asparagus and everything. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Like I will say, yeah, it looked good. The, the grinding of the ham and then frying it in the pan to where it's bra- is like gives it like a bacon bit kind of feel. So it's like an every bite. Yeah, you know, yeah. You don't just get the, you don't hunt for meat in your pasta. It's like, oh, it's in every bite. Now, when I saw it, though, you were like, oh, I've been watching this show. This is, I, I know you cook sometimes, but it's, I don't think you're obsessed like I am. But yeah. do you own a grinder? I have a KitchenAid mixer and it has the grinder attachment. My uncle was a chef. Oh, grinder attachment on the, okay. Yeah. So it's a KitchenAid. Okay. Cause I was, that's one of the few kitchen gadgets that I don't own is like a grinder to make your own burger patties mm-hmm. and everything else so i was like that's weird that he has a next level well my grandmother when i was a kid would make ham would grind ham and we make ham omelets we would just do ham and egg scrambled eggs and ham and then you would po- put it in there make a little egg ham patty in the skillet and just cook it and it was it's one of my favorite breakfast so i was making that and i'm like let me just grab a pouch of salami and i'll grind that with the ham and then I'll put it in this pasta because on, I watch Top Chef is the show I, I watch. I've been because yeah. I love Top Chef. That's something me and my uncle would watch all the time when I was having to move back home. I got into that with him because he was watching it. We, were, we started watching season two. He had already watched season one. And so he was a chef. So he'd seen all this stuff and he could see all the mistakes and what, was, what they were trying to do. Right, right. And how shit goes sideways and so it was fascinating to watch this drama unfold but some of the recipes and in this last season one of the guys made a pasta and he ground up the meat and so it was like you know he made it look it had like ground up on top of pasta and I was like why didn't I think of that to just grind meat right. into the pasta and he had put olives in it too and I'm like olives and pasta Another, why didn't you think of that? Right. And so that's when I, I went, let me go get some, ha- I got a ham steak and ground that up. Do you have a KitchenAid mixer? I do, but I don't have any of the attachments okay. for it, but I use it yeah. to make dough and stuff. They do have a, like, a sauce attachment. I'm, I'm getting my mom that for Christmas, or her birthday rather, this coming week or so. There's a Amazon thing for a, Grinder, sausage stuffer, and citrus juicer for $129. For all three. And so that's her birthday present. Yeah, I get it. Every time I find out there's another, like, the sausage making thing, I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. I'm just like, that's just another rabbit hole I'm going <laughs> to go down that I'll be obsessed with for yeah. months. I definitely want to try to grind my own burger meat at some point. Like, I want to try to make, like, short, I want to grind, like, short rib, ribeye, and stuff like that. And yeah. Make, make my own ground beef, which would be fascinating to me and fun. 
just to try to make a ground beef patty. Oh, for sure. That'd be the main thing I would use it for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my, my uncle was in restaurants. So we, he, we dealed in restaurant equipment for a long time and we got this KitchenAid classic mixer way back and we got it from my grandmother and then she had it until I guess I moved here. And when I moved into this apartment, she didn't have room for it where she was living. So she gave it to me. And so I have a classic KitchenAid mixer. Well, those things last forever and a day, too. You need one lifetime, one yeah. per generation. It doesn't turn off, so I have to keep it unplugged. The opposite. <laughs> but it, it still works, and I it's a lifesaver. Like, when I make cookies or pancakes or any kind of batter, I just throw all the stuff in that mixer and put it, plug it in, and I turn around, and it's done. It's definitely paid for itself. And so I, I love to use it and I have the grinder and I have like the, uh, I guess the grater attachment where I can make coleslaw so I can shred cabbage and stuff like that. Nice. Those are my two attachments right now. I thought about getting the ice cream maker, but that one's kind of extreme. You have to put the bowl in the freezer like the whole night before and then it makes like a gallon of ice cream or something like two. Yeah, we have a, a separate ice cream maker. I've not yet made an ice cream that really came out even as good as like Kroger brand ice cream. And it's a whole to do. So I'm like, man, it's one of those things. I don't know that it's any cheaper to make it yourself. It doesn't come out quite as good. It makes a fucking mess. Do you use rock but, salt? Do you use the rock salt and everything? Yeah. That's something my dad's side of the family did for summertime. Like 4th of July, we would get together and they would make like homemade banana vanilla ice cream yeah that would be the really good thing about it is if you just had some crazy idea or something you know out there well i would i would go flavor wise i always go nuts with that stuff like i'm i'm very much me and my dad very much are creativity cookers like oh what if we put this like my dad makes something called the salmon patty when i was a kid and i hate him i hated him as a kid because that was everything he cooked was just this one salmon potato croquette patty with all this stuff in it. But I'm going to try to get, we'll go visit him and try to get him to make them smaller. And I'm going to toast a brioche bun and make a coleslaw. And so I'm going to try to make it like a salmon patty sandwich. Sounds pretty good. It's also worth noting, I do intermittent fasting. So all this talk about food I haven't eaten yet today. So same <laughs> that's why i was like just give me 10 minutes i'm starving so bad like i i've got i'm gonna make that pasta again but i'm gonna use tuna this time because i'm not gonna i don't have any more ham left that's the goal is i'm gonna use tuna angel hair pasta lemon caper butter sauce and maybe some sliced asparagus in there sounds all right man yeah. cheap party and we'll survive so you do cooking as one of your passion projects what other passion projects do you have that besides stand-up bartending cooking? Kind of tough to say because the cooking thing is just taken over a little bit. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have time for a whole lot else. Yeah. And another thing is your dad is a an illustrator, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is uh, a little bit famous in his own right in his niche thing that he does. So he was a comic book illustrator correct yeah he was uh he did all the major comics like in the 90s all the marvel and dc stuff and uh he currently 
is the publisher of his own real small company and he does horror comics. Well, that's slightly terrifying, I'm sure. Like do you let him like watch your kids like just hey, don't don't take them into your horror comic den. Well, but it's the cheesy horror, you know okay. what I mean? It's the old old school like universal creature from the black lagoon and all that nothing that would be scary like well, I mean it still scares my kids, but <laughs> Yeah, it scares you that he's still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. Talk about people with passion projects, man. He's just kind of always done whatever, wherever his heart kind of takes him. It's pretty, uh, you know, inspiring, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say that's got to inspire you on some level because you you can see that there there is an end game to doing what your your passion is rather than to be in a day job or do something maybe you're not too keen on just to survive. Yeah. Uh, well, I should mention we were not rich. <laughs> so uh, I, I learned the pitfalls of it, but uh, you know, my mom always was, uh, you know, she made less than him at times, but she was always the rock with the steady thing coming in. And then he, you know, being an artist, Sometimes you're doing great and sometimes you're not. So did you ever try to draw or are you is that not your in your wheelhouse? Uh I draw probably better than you, but not <laughs> not not uh good enough to be uh, you know really do anything with it. My brother who's a musician which also kind of runs in our family. He he got the gene for my mm-hmm. dad and he was pretty good, but he didn't really pursue it. He rather shred, but I, yeah, I just, I mean, you, growing up in that house, you're gonna pick up a thing or two. But as uh, we talked about this off air about rebelling, mm-hmm. and people find out my dad was a comic book artist, and uh, you know, in the '90s, they're like, "Oh, so you know about X Men episode 146?" Where I'm like, "Nah, I was kind of like, if this is what you know, I'm supposed to like, I'm gonna take a left." I'm all I'm all reading Shakespeare over here. I'm come at me with some real written literature. I don't need this right. any any. <laughs> I don't need twenty pages of resolution. I right. need, I need one hundred and seventy five pages of absolute. I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, something where I need a translator. And so, I uh, thank you for doing this podcast. My podcast is about fears. Yours is really interesting. It's a imposter syndrome. And so when you said that, I wasn't kind of clear on what that is. Can you kind of describe it? Uh, well, you know, I've never, you know, I didn't like learn about it in psychology class or anything, but my understanding of it is, and I think it's, uh, you know, if you can call what I do and what we do show business, I think it's kind of rampant in people that do this kind of stuff for a living is you're just, you know, you're trucking along in your career and the whole time you're worried that you're going to be discovered that you're a phony and that you don't really know what you're doing and everyone else belongs, but you don't. Which obviously I think I have and I'm sure a lot of comics have it, but I think it bleeds over for me into kind of a lot of aspects of my life, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, fun fact, none of the comics know what they're doing. <laughs> it really is. Like you if I'll send you a link to Chris Rock's uh 
where he's on like the one of those Hollywood, like real Hollywood where the people are just he's in a room where they're videotaping, but it's like almost like a uh behind the scenes, you know, kind of talking about how he was discovered. And he literally was moving tables at a comedy club and they didn't, you know, Eddie Murphy came in, didn't have a, you know, he would like to have a, a, a person of color on the, on the show bill that night. No other comic, all white comics. So Chris Rock got to go on and he heard Eddie Murphy laugh. And then the next day he's a valet on Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good jump. Yeah, but it was just, he's just, I remember him on that, when I watched Beverly Hills Cop 2 after I saw Chris Rock, he's a valet when they pull that cement truck in, into the the party. Yeah, but, you know, you still gotta be, you gotta still gotta be in, I guess, uh, New York or wherever he was yeah. when he was moving that table. Yeah, he was in a, it was in a Los Angeles comedy club. I, I can't remember which one it was, if it was the, uh, the seller or something else, but he said he was just moving tables because he, you know, as comics, you whatever you could do to get more stage time, we'll do it. Yeah, and so he was doing that kind of legwork, and he just also happened to have the skit, you know, the comedy skills that when you get put in an opportunity, you can then also maximize it. And so, yeah, and that's what I've told people is like you just don't know. I mean. You can you can do all this stuff all you want, but you just don't know, you know, some when somebody that matters is going to be listening and be like, hey, you know, I really like what you do. Would you like to do this? And so it's always just a you've always got to be on, but at the same time, not be expecting that opportunity to happen to you at any point. It just, you know, just naturally just enjoy what you're doing. And if you're doing something really great and original. They'll find you. They're always, you know, they're always going to find you somehow, some way. Yeah, like if Chris Rock, if that didn't happen to him, he still would have made it to where he's at one way or another. If you miss yeah. one opportunity, it's, uh, it's really not yeah. the end of the world. What I tell people, it's an opportunity, not the opportunity. Right. And so, you know, just you just got to not think of it as the opportunity so that you don't put too much pressure on yourself. And so so when you say it falls into other aspects, where do you think it falls into? Like, does it is it like a fatherhood? Like you feel like your daughter's going to think that you don't know something? Oh, yeah, that's a big one. When you know, every year I'm like, oh, this is the year that she's going to get old enough to realize that I'm an idiot or or that, you know. But I think getting a little bit older, I think you just end up realizing, like uh, talking about it with comedy, it's like, yeah, obviously all these people are insecure, but, you know, you get a little bit older and you realize I'm, I I don't think I'm, you know, a natural at being a dad. I'm just doing what I think a dad should do or would do. And then you go, I bet that's what all of our fucking parents were doing. You know what I mean? Nobody's just like, knows what to do or yeah. you know that's why we're all so fucked up yeah. <laughs> our parents were just doing their best yeah everybody does what i feel like they they think their best is and then it just evolves or devolves from there depending on the situation you're in so 
what about a does it fall in like bartending? Does it feel like, do you feel like at some point you're just going to be replaced or your shift's going to be covered and then that's going to be the last time you work? Kind of. And I actually, you know, we talked about this subject matter uh, ahead of time. So I started thinking about it and I had an epiphany uh, in comedy because I got the MC spot at hyenas and i was like i know my material i like my jokes okay whatever but it was the being a host and you know i think people think i'm uh corny and gregarious so the hosting part you know maybe comes easy to me but like that was what i was the most worried about you know what i mean you gotta have kind of just be this cheery excited whatever and uh and then i realized you know, a million years ago, when I started bartending, I was like, you know, they're going to find out that I'm not like this nice person that gives a shit about last night's game or whatever I think a bartender is supposed to be. And I was like, I faked that for so many years. I was like, I can fake being an MC and being excited about the feature act. I, I, I feel like I don't fake it. I'm just... Like, this is my job, like, and I always approached it like, you guys don't know Eric Myers or whoever the comic is. Like, you don't know this guy? Are you got you guys are at a comic club, you don't know who this guy is? Yeah, and so, whoever it is. And so I, ha- I have a high energy disbelief, like, like, you really don't know. Guys, this guy has been on this, this, and... He has a now he has a podcast. Guys, make some noise for Ben Creed, ladies and gentlemen, or whoever it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I've always just come from that and I it it boosted my confidence tenfold when I was an MC. Cause I can show you old comedy videos of myself before I was an MC where I'm not making eye contact with anyone. Like I'm looking at the floor the whole time. You're not even looking out into the darkness like yeah. I do. Yeah, I'm just and I and it was just so terrifying. And I I had to slowly but once I got the MC spot, I had been going up last so long. Like I was so bad, people wouldn't put me when there was an audience. They would put me at the end of the open mic and I was happy to do it because then I could hit 5 to 6 open mics a night at some and at at my peak cuz I was living at home and I didn't want to go home. I was like, wherever, right. wherever I can do comedy to not realize that I'm still, li- I'm in my 30s living with my mom, I'm there. And so I did that and I would just go last and slowly my confidence built until I was, you know, in 2008, I was doing well, but nobody knew it because I would still go last. So about late 2009 is when I first got my, my first hosting spot and it's it was like a 180 from where I was as an open micer, and I was just like, and it, I just have a little bit of energy, and so it, it would just it just would radiate, and I would just I got to where I was just I was loud, I was commanding, and people would when I asked people to fill out comic cards, people were like, Jesus, like everybody in the room literally looked down and started picking up their pencils, like it like it looked like I don't know if you remember America's Funniest Home Videos, like the show. Did you, did you ever watch that? Yeah. When they had yeah. to vote and then the audience would all like pick up like that's what it looked <laughs> yeah. like. It was like the America's Home Videos voting. 
And so people were even features like, man, I I feel weird going up because everybody's still filling up comic cards by the time I go on stage. But I just I started doing that, and then I moved to feature in like 50, 2015. Like I just patiently waited. Some people were already moving to feature, like Jessup, and everybody else was progressed. And then late 2015, I got my first feature spot, which was a trip because I didn't realize how much feature work was. And so I was just doing all my MC spots at MC pace. It's just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And I was so mentally exhausted. I sat in my car for like 15 minutes and was like, cause people were tell people will tell you like feature spots, the best spot, it's the best spot in the whole fucking show. Because you don't have to do announcement, you don't have to worry about anything. You can just do your time, kill it, and then leave. And it's all up to the headliner to follow you. And I got in my car and I was like, how is this the best spot? I don't think, I, <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to... I was literally questioning the fact that I could be a feature. And I just kept racking up my brain. I'm like, why are we doing everything like I'm an MC? I have... Just because I have 30 minutes doesn't mean I should do it like I only have 15 minutes to mm-hmm. do this 30 minute. And so I started stretching these, the second night I started stretching these bits out and just really kind of living in them. And it went really well. And then from then on, I just kept doing it. And then I started making a second one and a third. Now I did a headlining spot and I'm like, Oh, so I just need to, he- I need to keep working at it. Cause I had the headlining time down. It's just, now I have to make it me. And it's like, okay, I was so much worried about making sure I fill my time. I don't lose track. Don't forget. Don't get to like 30 30 minutes and like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to leave you guys with this. You know, didn't. didn't (laughs) Then you realize that's the that's the bare minimum is filling that time. Yeah. You're going to have to make as just as many adjustments as you did from MC to feature. Yeah. And it's also being you have to be more aware in the room and. As an MC and a feature, I try not to acknowledge anything that happens in the room. I was like, let me leave that for the next guy. If he wants to hit it or acknowledge it, let him do it. And so now as a headliner, I'm like, well, I've got to, you know, if someone says something weird, I've got to, now I've got to say something. Yeah. I can't just, yeah, I can't ignore it. And so I kind of did that my first headlining spot and I'll, work on doing that a little bit more as we get back into open mics now that everything's not shut down. That was a weird week of just sitting in my apartment again. I'm like, oh, this is quarantine yeah, all over this is again. reminiscent. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. How do you manage being like, so being a bartender that gives you, I guess, weird hours. I don't know if that helps with your kids' school and everything else because Monday and Tuesdays, since they're kind of slow, no, yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the it's the worst. And like, I don't know if you could consistently just be like, you know, like when I was younger and I was single and everything else, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I don't feel bad for like sleeping all day or whatever, because when you get off at 5 p.m., you don't get to sleep by six. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I would keep weird hours. I would keep late hours. and that. But now it's, uh, you know, I got the new kid. So I'm like, there's been a couple times where I've worked like a, a Friday night and I get home and I like drop my shit, whatever I've got. And I'm sit down and I'm starting to eat a little bit of food. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to wind down and go to sleep. 
And then the baby wakes up. I'm like, nope, just going to keep it going. I was going to say there, there should be, I think there was something like Etsy or something like there's a glove and you can fill it with like buckwheat husk and you can like microwave it. So it's like warm and you can put it on the baby's <laughs> back. So it feels like some, there's a hand there. So it goes to sleep. And so it doesn't, doesn't feel like you're not there. So you don't have to be whatever it costs. I'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> it's just, it's just the little thing to kind of let them know, Oh, there's some, there's somebody there. Okay. I don't need to cry. Yeah. If only it were that easy. She, uh, I don't know. I got lucky with both my kids. They're both, uh, super easy and, and they treat me all right, which God bless them, I guess. But as far as babies go, from what I understand, she's about as, as easy as it gets. So I'll, I'll take it. (laughs) And the, and the wife is great with everything technology and she helps me out whenever I ask her, but I don't want to be like, you know, she sure. works a nine to five. She gets home. She's tired. I'm like, hey, will you, will you help me? I'm an idiot. I can't work my phone. So three in the morning. Hey, can you help me post this yeah. video to TikTok? <laughs> exactly. The algorithm says that this is probably the best time to upload a video and to have a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I don't know what an algorithm is, but they said if you just get up at three in the morning, Central Standard Time, right. that this is when I will get discovered by Netflix. If, as if that was the problem. I think there's so many people and I'm glad I'm on the opposite side of it. I'm like, yeah, Hey, you know what? I suck at promoting myself. I suck at social media. I suck at even remembering to take my phone out and let people know I'm doing anything. But, uh, I try hard at the part where I'm on stage telling jokes. Yeah. I feel like that's that's still important. Right. How do you, I guess, handle the imposter syndrome? Like when that feeling hits that, that kind of, I guess that nervosa hits that, Oh my God, this is, you know, one of these days my daughter is going to realize that I told her this stuff or it's not accurate. And then she's going to just tell me. Uh, I mean, I guess really all you can do is just remember the other times you felt that way. Well, the, the parenting one is, you know, that's to be determined, I guess still, but like, you know, with comedy and stuff, I'm like, I'm like, well, at every stage you felt, this way you know what i mean like even when i first started out i'm like okay so everyone hates me they all think i have a fucking fat piece of shit and then it just turned out like no just no one gives a shit that a new idiot has started comedy and uh it's just one of those things where slowly over time people you you kind of latch on to people that you you become a shared interest and that's why i always advocate to have that comedy buddy that's in comedy that you can if when you're struggling with something that they're on that similar level that you are so that they are like yeah man i know exactly because yeah. it's like i can't go you know to an opener but man i understand why i get six weekends out of the year booked at this club <laughs> yeah the level above you and the level below you because I've had comics do that. Like, they get on Facebook, like, I don't think I'm funny. I'm like, you're getting work. You can't you can't get on Facebook right now anymore and just and just have a pity party and have people come in your comment section saying, you know, you're funny. You, I was like, you're, you're a working comic now. People, I was like, you, you're of the level of comics, you've risen above the open mic level. So now yeah. we've, we know you're funny. We're booking you because you're funny. So that part, you can't just sit there and say that you can say, man, I feel like I'm something's not working or anything like that. And so you have to just kind of 
be you know you like have to do it for the fun of it and you have to realize that there's going there's going to be hurdles and it's probably not what you think it is because you're coming from a place of emotion and so you're you're thinking like oh i must have done something to to really upset them like that's yeah that's one yeah. of the ones i get oh i'm probably done something it's usually not that at all it's a it's a lot more business like and logic based than people realize yeah and i think the other thing is like when you're the most frustrated like that it's when you feel like you should be on to the next level, whatever the next promotion for yeah. you is. And, and then you don't get it and you're frustrated. And then finally you do get it and you realize that you shouldn't have got it when you first thought you should. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, Cause I've had a couple of comics that I've, that when, you know, they were moved up to another level were like, you know, thank you. You know, I, I didn't realize you know, I wasn't ready until now that I realized, oh, I, in now, as I don't, because that's one thing is I don't want to put people in a position where they make a bad impression. Oh, yeah. And so I always try to make it to where it's almost like, why hasn't this guy been doing this versus why is this guy doing this? That's, that's what I tell people is I want Randy to ask me, he's like, why have you not had this guy booking me instead of why is this guy? And, and so it's always, yeah. You know, it's like I never want to put you in a position where it you could do it, but it's more fifty fifty. I want it to be a hundred percent that this is this is not an this is not an issue. I don't want seven out of eight sets to be great. I want all eight great. Mm-hmm. Because I I guarantee you, if you're only doing seven out of eight and one's a clunker, that's gonna be the one that the management watches. Yeah, the owners in the room yeah. or whatever it is. And I'm like, you you know, first impressions are hard to erase. And so that's why I would tell people, why are you rushing? You don't want to rush a first, a first impression, in my opinion, Uh-oh. that maybe if you give it a little bit more time, maybe may come out better than what it is now. Like, I understand the hunger and the, the want to to get to that next level. But why rush it when you could just take a little time and when that next level opportunity comes, you just, you blow the doors off of everybody else. They're even in, in consideration. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of, you know, definitely myself included, but like a lot of comics, especially when you start out, you hear these story and these are the exception, you know, not the rule, but you hear like Joe Rogan talking about like, he was headlining way too early and they just threw him to the wolves and whatever. And like he survived it. It's like, yeah, but for every person that has that, I jumped way ahead way too early and I survived it. And now I'm famous story. There's probably a hundred that got pushed into something they couldn't handle. And like you said, made that shitty impression or just got shell shocked from it. Or yeah. Like uh, what's the, yeah, have you read the book I'm Dying Up Here? No, did I hear about that just recently? A, it was on a show on Showtime. They kind of changed the names. I'll I'll loan you the book. It's really it's about the stand up in the mid to late seventies during the stand up boom when uh, Jay Leno and David Letterman mm-hmm. were killing it in L.A. And there's another comic named Steve Lebitkin who who threw himself off a building, but it's that. You know, he's that, you know, the rule to 
you know, there's all these great comics and then there's the one that, that yeah, that, Letterman's the exception for sure. Well, it just, you just realize you just, some people are just so impatient and they, and they see their peers excelling and they're not, and they just have all the, they just need some sort of reassurance and it just, it was, it's a really, it's a really good book, but it's really kind of, it's, it really puts a point on you know, how comics are and that how desperate they are to succeed. Desperate, insecure. Yeah. And that was, that's one of the things that I really, you know, I was struggling with early on in my comedy. And then, like I said, when I was one of the worst comics, I just kind of accepted. I was like, maybe I'm not this good at as what I think I am. How can I get better? And so I had to change my mindset, you know, eliminate, being you know friends with certain comics that were super competitive and want to you know wanted to compete it show who's got more stage time or shows and you know i'm like well that's i was like it's not helping me i wasted my first year you're already in an impossible situation because to do it in the first place and think you're going to do it as a career you have to be delusional to a degree to think that you deserve everyone's attention and that you can entertain X amount of people for X amount of time. So you have to be delusional. And then immediately, once you start doing it, you have to start being as objective as you can, Mm -hmm. or you're going to be this fucking prick that thinks he's better than he is or whatever. And then you are that prick sometimes. And then you go 180 the other way and, and you have no, self-confidence and i think if if you had a podcast called some of all regrets (laughs) i would say the thing that i dwell on is that i started at such a later age than most people when they start out as open micers Mm -hmm. and i have to constantly remind myself like dude you know a lot of my comedy buddies that we started around the same time they're all, you know, they were 23 when they started. They're 25, 26 now. And I'm like, do you remember what you were like at 24? Yeah. <laughs> you think you would have just started and just been as, uh, you know, dedicated and, and concentrated as you are in your 30s? There's no fucking way. Well, and it's just one of those things, too, where it's like where you just learn how to to get better at it and at a certain like you it's there's a more of accepting like i feel sometimes as a younger person you don't accept your identity and you try to change it and try to you try to use comedy to be who you wish you were versus who you really are mm-hmm. and it's it mm-hmm. just becomes like high school it's like watching say by the bell and watching screech wear sunglasses and try to be cool it's like you know <laughs> But that, but that's oh, that's the visual I get, and God rest Dustin Diamond, aka Screech. I work with him a few times, but you know that's the that's the visual I get when I when I try to do something that I know doesn't fit. Like if I do a lot of oh, I just got laid, or you know what's life to get. You know, I was like, I don't yeah. get laid a lot, and so I was like, it doesn't fit, and it's that kind of situation or another way is the Steve Buscemi on 30 rock. When he comes in with the skateboard, like how do you do fellow kids? Yeah. That's, it's like, that's what I feel like sometimes people do instead of just owning the fact that they're older, owning the fact that they're only in their twenties. 
but they don't have an authority just just to just to live their life and just find the weird things that they do. Yeah, I feel like I would be if I tried to act like I was actually cool, I would be doing just what you're talking about. But if I also tried to lean in mm-hmm. to be, you know, to relate to people my age or people that are parents or people that are married, I think I'd be even more false that way. Yeah. Cause I still identify more with these other degenerates that are in the comedy scene. That would be so terrifying to do stand up as too. Like to to like could you imagine like being Larry the Cable Guy at some point, like just feeling like at any point in this moment people are gonna realize you're not real. Like, you know, that this guy <laughs> this guy actually has a degree from you know, he went to Nebraska, he's got a doctorate and all this stuff. Yeah. I would be terrified like that. That could be your career because what you do not Larry the Cable Guy can't come close to what you do as Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, you got to just think that it's all going to come crashing down around you at some point. Like that's the biggest. Thank God his fans are so stupid. But yeah, but that's the imposter syndrome thing <laughs> you're talking about. Though It's like, man, that's got to be that would be a nightmare for you. If, it, if you're like that fears in you, could you imagine like trying to operate? Oh yeah. Dude, if somebody offered me money to do like a, a church tour or something yeah. and I took it and I was like, well, I look like the rest of these people. <laughs> I'm a dad. I'll just pretend to be wholesome. I think it would not yeah, fly. But it's so hard. It's got to be stressful because then you got to try to write and that's not how you write. Like there, the OCD in me is like thinking all the all the wholesale changes to how I do stuff. And just the ripple effect of all that just stresses me out. Just, mm-hmm. oh, I, now I've got to write in this vein. I can't, I can't do, you know, what I, I, I can't, like, if it was for me, like, to be, I guess, dirty. It's like, oh, now I can't be innocent and stuff like that. Now I have to kind of have to dress like Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> With the emo leather jacket, yeah, the emo white yeah. hair, and just you know, and just try to change your whole attitude. It's like that doesn't fit who I am. I've never been confident to the point that people, you know, that I intimidate people. Yeah, mine goes the other way. I I I can't write clean. I just write what I write and see if how much of it I can yeah. turn into clean enough to get by. Yeah. And since you work at our local backdoor comedy club from time to time. I mean, that does, ha- that does help gauge. That's where I started. And so I, it, I always tell people it's always easier to, to, to start clean and le- and then go to dirty than it is to start dirty and try to try to be clean. Yeah. Because then it's like, well, I don't, you know, it's like a whole mindset change. It's like, Oh, I don't know any other words for fuck, you know, like, ah, oh. <laughs> Yeah. How am I supposed to express that I'm so frustrated right now? Golly gee, guys. This is so frustrating. <laughs> Golly gee, women, guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the bitch of it is when, you, uh, when you're when you working for a headliner, it's like, hey, do that same joke, but, you know, do it without this word and this word. And you're like, it doesn't work. That's how I talk and blah, blah, blah. And then you change the words and you're like, fuck, it works just as good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've learned to change words because I can, as you've seen when we do corporate or a bar that, uh, what was the Studio 80 show where we, oh, yeah. The opposite, the anti corporate show, right? Just like, just go ahead and be dirty. Just go, 
I'm like, okay. Like I have no, no filter. I've learned to just kind of listen, you know, feel the room and kind of shift my gear, you know, just kind of pre-plan like, okay, that's going to work. This is this. And it's one of those things you'll learn too. Like as you keep doing this, you'll like start, you can start leaning, I guess, almost organizing your jokes however you want, like a Rolodex kind of like, okay, we'll take that card out. This card, yeah. this card will be there and I'll just flip through and it'll go great. The closest thing I've ever come to, the, and I mean, I understand the concept of it fully. I just, I'm not in a position where I really have to do yeah. that right now kind of a deal. I just have my set. But uh, one time I kind of noticed, basically I noticed like the people were liking the higher energy stuff mm-hmm. and not liking the kind of slower stuff with a little bit more build to it. And uh, so I just did the same set I was going to do, but I just kind of ramped it up and just put a little bit more behind it. And then I got off stage. I was like, did I just fucking change gears? Did I notice something about the crowd and adapt a little bit? But other than just pretending to be more confident than I am, I I hardly ever vary at all. That's that's my big struggle is like that's why I always learned. I was try always try to mess with stuff and put it in different orders and everything else. And I just, I'll put myself in that kind of that, that thought process of, okay, we know both of these jokes work in different areas. What if we put them here back to back? Like they're not, if they're going to bum, like I have a way out, but let me just put this and this together. Let me sewing, like, let me sew these two things together and see if I can make it work. If I can transition from one to the other. And I just, I always try to put myself, um, I would say on stage, I'm very high risk at some points. Like I will, as far as, I guess, joke wise, I vary my routine and I won't do it the same way twice. Just because I don't want to be that person that's doing the same set the same way every yeah. week to the point where I feel like at that point to me, I would just be like trying to form like a noose with the, the mic cord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like i i get some of it where you have to have some stock material but i was like you can vary it so i'm like i don't use the same descriptors all the time like i have the same general purpose but i don't say it the same way every single time i give my i just do the main idea and then i'll free form it from there as as i'm saying it because it's nothing more frustrating than to have it all written down a certain way and then as you start talking, like all of a sudden different words start going, like, oh, that, that's not, that's not, yeah. you're off script. You're, and so I was like, well, I just learned early on, it's like, I can't write word for word because I keep going back, changing this word, changing that word. And I was like, this is frustrating. Let me just write the main idea. And then I will, with my great memory, I'll just remember what it is. And then I will kind of work around it and it'll work or it won't. And so that's how I've always written. So I just write like a main idea and that's all I have. Yeah. I know that everything you're saying is correct and the smart way to do it, especially to get better, but it's also everything that is in my nightmares. Fly without a net. Just one time, just just, (laughs) just do it. Dick Grayson, just be Robin one time. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) I mean, he was orphaned. I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get orphaned from hyenas or from the loony bin. 
I think it's one of those things where it's just one of those things that you do for fun while you're up there to kind of to break up the monotony of the set. Like, okay, I've got a new joke I want to try. Where am I going to try it? How did that do? You know, there's always little things. People will always, you know, bug out when they're open mic and like, there's no audience. It's like, audience laugh is just one of the things to work on, but it's not the only thing you can work on. Yeah. Maybe work on does when you have no one there in the room at all. Okay. Can I say these words without going blah, 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 just getting completely lost? Yeah. Can I not go uh, yeah. at all? Like there's so much to work on. It doesn't just have to be. Yeah. The crowd is just a bonus. Yeah. And, you know, when there's no one there, there's a little bit more freedom yeah. <laughs> to just uh, take the pressure off. And I feel like that about some, you know, even like paid work and club work and all that stuff. Sometimes you just go, I'm watching these people sit down. They're fucking hammered. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're the half the people are in cowboy hats or whatever it is. Like you just go, okay, well, judging by my past experience, uh, they're not going to like me and it's not going to go how I want. So then I already know that you can't really hurt me. I'll have a good yeah. time. I think you're genuine. I don't think you have an impo- you're an imposter in any way, step, or form. And you got one fold. Yeah. And so you just <laughs> it's never it's a game of golf. It's like you you can play the same chorus on different days and have completely different scores at the end of the day. You know, the one day you could be, you know, ace in everything and the next day it's just like every shot is a is a is a like nervous twitching. Just, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh my God, where is that going? Oh my God, that's not where I wanted to go. Yeah, sometimes I just want to yell at an audience and go, I said these exact same fucking words last night. And you should, I'll play you, I'll play the audio of everyone laughing, you cunts. Yeah, but that's the whole group think of a crowd that it can be a small group of people that's either disruptive or just not responsive at all. And wherever, and just in specific spots in the room, where they sit, those people can control the room. Like if a group of people that don't laugh sit like near the front, everybody behind them won't laugh because they're not laughing. And it's like, man, it's such a daunting and, you know, scientific, because that's one thing I've argued with is sometimes, in some ways this is a science and not an art because I'm still trying the same things. I'm just trying to do different results from the same formula. Yeah, it's at the very least, it's a pseudoscience of some kind. But Steve, I thank you for doing this. Where can people find you on social media? I am on Instagram at Steve Gamble, on Twitter at Stephen Gamble with the PH. And uh, stevegamble.com is a site that exists. And I should put my dates on there. I do the same thing. <laughs> now that we're, yeah, it's, it's rough. But theoretically, you could always find me on there and see where I'm yeah. at. Well, thank you again, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. And I'll let you get to some food here before you get to starvation. You can go make a culinary delight. Before I waste away. All right, I'll send you a picture of it. Talk to you later. Good talking to you. So that was Steven. It's a real interesting conversation. Uh, We kind of glossed over imposter syndrome and just all the different ways you can feel like you don't know what you're doing. And I feel like that's just everybody in life. They... You kind of know, you know where you're driving, you know what your job entails, but any day could hold any new obstacle. And so 
you always have to work to try to overcome those obstacles. And I do my best to try and overcome those obstacles on a daily basis and just enjoy life as it comes. I'm 44 years old. I've kind of made peace with a lot of the things that have caused me issues growing up. And as a young adult, being a comic, I think you just kind of, you get tired of imposter syndrome is how I think how you beat it. Because I feel like it's kind of what I went through starting comedy, just feeling like part of me being confident, thinking I'm good at this, but then to realize you're really not and you don't know what you're doing, but yet you still have to try to do it. Otherwise, you'll regret it. Check out Stephen Gamble's comedy on his Instagram, Facebook. I really enjoyed this episode. As for me, just been kind of doing the grind open mics. I'll be working this Saturday in Fort Worth with Todd Larson, who's a great comic. If you want to check that out, come out to Hyenas Comedy Nightclub. I'll have links to that show in the show notes. I've also got some 3 for 25s coming up in April. On April 8th, I'll be in Hyenas, Dallas come out to that and also thursday the 15th at hyenas in fort worth i'll be on one of those shows as well addison improv will be coming in may and hopefully some more shows will be coming up here in the near future i thank you guys for listening make sure you subscribe if you like what you hear leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts i thank you for listening to the sum of all fears have a good week and now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. As well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me... On social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. On all social media platforms, you can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.